Today we're going to begin a new series, and we're going to call it The Great Victories of the Bible. Uh, I was thinking about this as uh, it pertains to uh, the lesson today and several others, and uh, the Lord just seemed to speak to my heart to say, uh, let's go in this direction. Let's look at the great victories of the Bible. So we've got a good one today, and um, let's just dive into it. I won't talk about it other than let's, let's um, tell the story, let's read the scripture, and uh, we're going to have a great session today. Thank you for joining us today. So let's begin in Genesis 22, verse 15. We need to remember that um, when God says something and he makes a promise, he fulfills his promises. And that's a real key to understanding this first great victory of the Bible that we're going to be studying in this class. So Genesis 22, starting in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The setting for this promise by God is that Abraham has just gone through this experience of almost offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice on an altar. God had asked him to do this, and he obediently prepared and brought his son Isaac along with him. This son that was born to him when he was 100 years old and his wife was 90, think of it. The son that God said would be um, the first one of his offspring that would, um, through which a, a whole nation would be birthed. And he takes him up and he's going to sacrifice him on the altar because God asked him to do it. God had never intended for that to be carried through, but he wanted to see Abraham's willingness. And so at that moment when the, the dagger's in his hand and he's about to slay his son and offer him as a sacrifice, the ram is caught in the thicket and God says, hold it, I've got a sacrifice for you. I've prepared one. And uh, that's just the great story. But after that, um, God then speaks to Abraham and says, because you've not withheld your only son, I'm going to make a great nation from you. They'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And because of you, every nation on earth will be blessed through your offspring. Every nation on earth will be blessed. And I really think that God was speaking about his son, Jesus, because Jesus would come through this nation. His uh, human connection would be through this nation of Israel. And, and uh, of course, Jesus has blessed every nation on earth. So that was the promise. Let's now follow that promise through, and uh, we'll see how God um, fulfilled his promise through, through some pretty incredible circumstances. Think about um, that son, Isaac, born, as I said, to Abraham when he was 100 and to Sarah when she was 90. 
And then Isaac, in turn, um, had twins uh, by his, his wife, Rebekah. And those twins were Esau and Jacob. And God chose to uh, fulfill the promise, not through the firstborn, which would have been the typical Jewish way of doing things, but through the secondborn, Jacob. And so through Jacob, God began to move. And he allowed Jacob to have 11 sons up to a point. And the youngest of the 11 sons was a son by the name of Joseph. Let's talk about Joseph for just a minute. Joseph was Jacob's most favored son. Uh, The reason being because his favorite wife of the four that he had was Rachel. And she was unable to have children of her own up until the time when God opened her womb and she had Joseph. And because she was Jacob's favorite wife, Joseph became his favorite son. As you can imagine, this didn't sit well with his brothers, his 10 brothers who were born through other uh, mothers. There were three other mothers beside Rachel that gave birth to children through, um, through Jacob. And uh, so uh, he was hated by his brothers. On one occasion, when his brothers were out uh, tending livestock in a, a distant area, Jacob sent his son Joseph out to check and to see how they were doing. It was just a fatherly thing and also a business thing. Uh, He was concerned about how they were. And so Joseph went to the area where they were. And when they saw him coming, uh, their hatred welled up within their hearts. And they began to speak to one another. And they said, what if we take Joseph and we kill him? And then we kill an animal and put blood on his coat and take it back to father and say that a wild animal has devoured him. And so that was the, the plot that they, they sprang. And so when Jacob came, they, they grabbed him and they threw him in a cistern. And Reuben, the oldest, heard about this. And uh, he, he said, no, don't take his life. And uh, put him in this cistern, but don't take his life. And so he put the brakes on uh, the, the murder plot that was being hatched by the other brothers. And then Judah had this idea. Um, he saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming through. They were on their way to Egypt. And he said, why don't we, instead of killing Joseph, why don't we make some money off of him? Let's sell him to this caravan as a slave. And so as the caravan came by where they were, they pulled Joseph up, they offer him to the slave traders, and they buy him for 20 shekels of silver. Um, How is Joseph feeling during this time? He's hated by his brothers largely because of his father's issue, because he was his father's favorite. And... Although uh, he had done some things that perhaps were unwise in sharing some dreams that he had had from God, um, yet much of what he was experiencing was through no fault of his own. 
And so he finds himself um, in a slave caravan being carried off to Egypt, uh, far away from his home, far away from his family. Uh, you can imagine his feelings. He's, he's a, an older teenager at this point, 17 or 18. And um, he's being taken away from everything that he knows and everything that is dear to him. We don't know about um, how he reacted in those early moments of this enslavement. Um, we aren't shared that in the scripture, but we can imagine how he might have felt. Well, he gets to, to Egypt. And he's put on the slave market, and he's bought by, of all people, um, one of the top military men in Egypt um, by a man by the name of Potiphar. He, he was identified as the captain of the guard. And so um, he's brought into um, Potiphar's household and given duties, and Potiphar notices that whatever he does, he does well. And the things that he's given to do, um, not only does he do them well, but everything seems to go right in that particular job that he's given. And so Potiphar gives him greater and greater responsibility until he finally entrusts to him his entire household. Um, everything pertaining to his household um, is under Joseph's uh, command. And uh, things are going well for Potiphar. He likes the arrangement. The only thing that um, is not good is that Potiphar's wife has a, a wandering, lustful eye. And she looks at Joseph, and he's a, he's a handsome young man, and he's, he's strong, and he's good-looking. And she uh, begins to lust after him. And she encourages uh, Joseph to come to bed with her. And she... she uh, she seduces him day after day, and he refuses. And he even uh, plans his schedule so that he's never near her. But um, one day he's in the house doing business. She happens to be in the house alone. And um, she comes to him and grabs him by his coat and says, come to bed with me. And he's um, so committed to not doing um, anything that would be offensive to the Lord and also to his master. And he says that to her. He says, how could I do this thing and commit such a great sin against the Lord? And then he talks about how his master has uh, trusted him and he wants to be trustworthy to the master. So uh, when she grabs him, instead of trying to reason with her. He just slips out of his outer coat that she hangs on to, and he runs out of the house. And uh, so she has his coat. She tells her husband that while he was gone, that Joseph came in and tried to rape her, and that she grabbed his coat and screamed, and he ran. He believes her. And so um, he talks to Jacob, to Joseph, and he is extremely angry, and he has him thrown into prison where political prison, prisoners are kept. And um, that's where Joseph finds himself. Again, through no sin of his own, he finds himself not only in Egypt, away from his family, but in prison where he doesn't deserve to be. 
Well, like in Potiphar's house, the warden of the prison finds that Joseph is a trustworthy man and he gives him jobs to do and he gives him oversight in the prison. In fact, because everything that Joseph does uh, is done well and there seems to be a a supernatural blessing on his activities, um, the, the warden entrusts the other prisoners to him and gives him great freedom and great um, latitude in what he can do in the prison. One, t- one day, uh, two of the prisoners came to him, and they were, they were downcast in their countenance. And Joseph says, what's, what's wrong? Why are you so downcast? And they said, well, we had dreams last night, and we don't understand the dreams. And uh, so they told their dreams to Joseph, and uh, he was able by the power of God to tell them what their dreams meant. In the one case, the cupbearer, he he had offended the the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and was thrown into prison. And in the interpretation of his dream, Joseph made it clear that he would be restored to his position. The other man, the baker, had also offended the king, the Pharaoh, And uh, Joseph made it clear that he would be not restored to his original position, but that he would be executed within three days. Both interpretations came true. And as the cupbearer then resumed his duties, uh, he carried out his duties for two years without ever mentioning anything to the Pharaoh about Um, this man in prison, Joseph, who had um, predicted that this would happen to him, that he would be restored to his position. But one day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream. And it was so troubling to him um, that he asked his magicians and his uh, sorcerers in Egypt to come and uh, give him the interpretation of the dream. None of them could do it. And at that point, the cupbearer remembered Joseph. And he said, sir, I remember that when I was in prison, there was a man that uh, I had had a dream about um, once again giving a cup to you. And and he was able to interpret that I would be restored to my position. And then the baker, um, he interpreted his dream that he would lose his life within three days and that happened. And so Pharaoh said, what are we waiting for? Get this man. I want to understand what these, this dream was that I had. It was actually two dreams. And so they, they bring Joseph in from prison and he's standing before um, the most mighty man in all of Egypt and Uh, the Pharaoh tells him this dream. He says, in my dream, there were seven very healthy uh, cows that were grazing. And then there came seven cows that were uh, very scrawny and ugly, and they ate the seven good cows. But as they ate them, It didn't change anything about them. They remained scrawny and ugly. 
And then I awoke, but I, I had another dream later. In the, in the dream, I saw seven stalks of green, and they were healthy and plump. And then there were seven um, very thin, um, rather scorched stalks of green, and they devoured the good stalks of green, but yet it didn't change their appearance any. They were still scorched and nothing appealing about them at all. And the Pharaoh said, can you tell me what this dream means? And Joseph, without even hesitating, he said, here's what the dream means. In the nation of Egypt, in the land of Egypt, there's going to be seven good years, seven years of abundance where crops are going to thrive and flourish. And then that will be followed by seven years of famine in which nothing will grow. And he said in his interpretation, I recommend that you appoint a man over the produce of the land and have him store the grain during the good years so that in the years of famine, there will be food for the people of Egypt. And the king said, what more do we need to search than right here? Here's a man who appears to have the, the spirit of God within in him. And let's have you um, be over the produce of the land. And so he made him um, minister of agriculture, so to speak. And he was over all the produce of the land. And he begins setting up this program of saving the grain. And they would save... Um, I believe a fifth of every person's crop and that would be uh, stored away in these storehouses and they had abundant grain that they stored up during those seven years and it appears that even during this time that Joseph was elevated even beyond just overseeing the grain he was actually made second in command in Egypt and uh, he carried that position well, the, when they got into the years of famine, after a couple of years, the, the famine was so severe in Canaan, which uh, was some distance away from Egypt, that's where Jacob and his sons were living, that um, Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, and so he sent his nine older sons, or his ten older sons, uh, to Egypt. Uh, to get grain. And so they went. And of course, they had to come to Joseph to get the grain that they were searching for. And they came. And they said, we're, we're 10 men, uh, sons of one man in, in Canaan. And uh, we've come here to, to buy grain. And of course, Joseph recognizes them right away. They don't recognize him because he's, he's older, obviously, and um, probably because of the dress and even the uh, customs of, of facial hair and, and uh, hair on the head, uh, he would have looked quite different than they remembered him. And so they didn't recognize him. And I don't know if he was motivated by anger or if he was just didn't know what he was doing or it was just 
feeling his way in this relationship, but he, he asked some questions about their father. And were there any other children? And they told him about their father and about the younger son. And, um, and then he says, well, I, I believe that you're spies, that you've come to spy out the land. And um, they said, no, we're not spies. We're honest. All we want is grain and we'll, we'll pay for it. And he said, no. He said, the only way I, I will know if you're telling me the truth is if you go and get that younger son and bring him to me. And the reason he said this is because the youngest son was also a son of Rachel, who was um, his mother. And she actually had died in childbirth with, with this youngest son, Benjamin. And so the sons are sent back and he keeps Simeon as sort of collateral back in Egypt, puts him in prison. And they go back to their father, and their father says, no way am I sending Benjamin. And so they, they kind of sit on things for a while until the famine situation is so severe that they finally decide that Benjamin will be sent back with the other nine brothers, and they go back. They have lunch with Joseph, and he continues to accuse them and, and wants to keep Benjamin there in Egypt. and. They plead with him and say, My, our father will, will die if he doesn't see his son. And so he sends him back, but he does something that um, he, he puts his silver cup in the sack of Benjamin and uh, unbeknownst to him, sends them off with their grain. And he sends his servant after them, catches them at their first stop. And he said, I, my master's goblet is gone and I want to check your bags to make sure that one of you has not stolen it. So he begins to check the bags. He opens Benjamin's bag and there's the goblet. And everyone is heartbroken. They know what this will do to their father if they return without him. And so all of them go back to Egypt. And they're in Joseph's presence and they're bantering back and forth. And finally, Joseph can take it no more. And he breaks down and he begins to weep. And, he's, and, he, and he yells out to his brothers and he says, I am Joseph, your brother. And their faces go ashen. They can't believe what's happened. And they, they fear for their lives. They're, they're sure they're going to be killed. And... Uh, he says, says something that's, that's really compelling at this point, and I, I want you to see it. It's from Genesis 45, starting in verse 5. And he says, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. During this time, God had been speaking to Joseph and letting him know that he had a plan and that Joseph was in his care and that there, there were things that he was up to 
that Joseph just needed to trust God on. And these things started to become um, apparent to Joseph. And he could say this with confidence to his brothers. And so he speaks to them and he says, go get your father. And they went and they got their father, Jacob, and they brought all of the extended family back into Egypt. The scripture says that there were 70. And Jacob comes back and is reunited with Joseph, whom he thought had been killed by wild beasts. The brothers had never confessed to him what had really happened. And they came back, and in the land of Egypt, they prospered. Uh, they were given good land, and they, were, um, uh, they took care of livestock, and they multiplied in number, and... Um, Eventually, Jacob dies, and the brothers again are worried. They're concerned that with Jacob out of the picture that Joseph is going to take revenge on, on them. But he speaks to them again in similar words that he had spoken to them when he first revealed himself. And I'd like you to see these once again. Let's go to chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And then verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph, amazingly, doesn't seek revenge and assures them that they will be safe, and they are. And they grow and they prosper there in Egypt. I'd like you to read one more passage with me. This is the first chapter of Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And it says this, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. What I want you to remember is the promise that God made to Abraham. After Abraham had been willing to sacrifice his son. He said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham is 100 years old at that point. He has one son. And God promises that he's going to make a great nation out of him. Here, he's done it. He's done it. How did God do that? Well, he had to take care of a famine, didn't he? And there would have been ways that God could have taken care of a famine. Um, I believe that God is a sovereign over everything. He could have stopped the famine. He could have brought rain to that part of the earth. They could have had good crops, and there, there could have been just prosperity in Canaan. But God chose to work in another way. His plan involved a man. So he worked through a man and through a plan. He worked through the man, Joseph, who was 
obviously someone who listened to God. And he worked through a plan. And the plan was something he revealed to Joseph so that Joseph could carry it out, which he did. And because Joseph was sold as a slave, which spared him from being murdered by his brothers, and ended up in Potiphar's house and accused by Potiphar's wife of, in, of rape and thrown into prison, which he didn't deserve, and was able to interpret dreams by God's power for two prisoners that was then shared with Pharaoh, who also had had a dream from God, predicting what would happen in Egypt. Joseph was made second in command and was able to manage the crops of Egypt to feed not only Egypt, but also the surrounding area, and in particular, his own family, which was the beginnings of this great nation that would exceed the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Does God know what he's doing or not? Does God, in his miracle power, work only through changing a famine, bringing rain? No, he also works through a man and a plan. And he did that in this case. He worked through Joseph, and he worked a plan that involved sparing the lives of this precious family, this chosen people. And, and he did it to, to spare their lives because of the plan that he had shared with Abraham years and years before. Tremendous story. And I think one of the great victories of the Bible. And so um, I hope you'll remember this um, in the week ahead. And uh, remember that if you find yourself in difficult circumstances, that you don't understand. Don't despair as though God doesn't know and as though God doesn't have a plan. Perhaps he's working out a plan that will turn out to be way beyond any expectation you've ever had. I'd like to pray for you before we end the class today. Let's do that. Thank you, Lord, that your plan always moves on. Thank you that what you promised to Abraham, you remembered and you carried out through Joseph. You spared Abraham's descendants, not by eliminating a famine, but by helping a man to carry out a plan that you had conceived. And may we remember that as we face difficult circumstances in our lives. Thank you for those difficult circumstances because we know that in them you are working out your plan. Be with each person who is listening today. Give them courage and give them hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.